Election day is just around the corner, and six candidates are seeking to fill three positions on the Mercer Island City Council. In a collaboration between the Mercer Island Chamber of Commerce and KMIH 88.9 The Bridge, student journalists Sophie Prock and Sid Schroff sat down with the candidates to hear their thoughts on some of the important issues facing our community. We start with position two, the race between incumbent Salim Meese and challenger Daniel Becker. KMIH's Sid Schroff spoke with both candidates, and here's what they had to say. Hello, 88.9 The Bridge. I am Sid Schroff, and I'm here with Salim, a candidate in the running for Mercer Island Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Salim is running for re-election for uh, city council position number two, and he's been living on Mercer Island for a long time. Uh, he, he was born here and had his childhood here, then moved away for college and came back. Anyway, so Salim, I'm so excited to get started. So how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Sid, for having me. Okay, yeah. So let's just jump right in. So... Uh, when you look at what lies ahead for Mercer Island, what attributes do you have that make you qualified to lead our city into the future? Great, great question. Thanks. Um, simply experience. I've been on the council since 2017. I'm running for re-election. This will be my third term. Uh, prior to my time on the council, our data gathering capabilities and commitments have been pretty slim. I focused on data-driven results and collaboration. This means I spend a lot of time gathering information, delivering that information in a digestible fashion to my cohorts and collaborating <clears throat> to implement positive changes for our community. Uh, I've been instrumental in forming new committees for community action, increasing transparency in city budgeting, and requiring um, and requirements for new development to fund infrastructure needs. Uh, in my time in the council, I've developed two biennium budgets. Uh, uh -huh. The process of building a biennium budget is pretty uh, extensive. It takes a lot of community engagement. It takes a lot of the council's time. It takes typically the full year uh, to develop and pass that that uh, biennium budget. I've also worked with a subcommittee. I was appointed by the mayor uh, to develop the city's first financial policies. So these are financial policies that guide the city and future councils on how do they develop uh, biennium budgets, allocate resources, uh, look at fund balances and reserves, and basically create a path of financial sustainability forward for the city. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's really cool. Wow. There are, so I'm just I, I'm just a little curious, like what just goes into the process of like making those like biennium bu budgets? Sure, right. Mo most of it is about uh, priorities. What are the priorities of budget uh, within the city? So you have certain departments, police, fire, uh, social services like YFS, where you can look at the services that we offer and establish baseline minimums. Some are mandated. You know, we have to have a certain number of police officers on duty at all times because that's state law. Uh, firefighting, the same same uh, thing holds true. And then you look at the base levels and at, ask the community, talk to the community, engage about what would they like to see in addition to those things. Obviously, school counselors in each of the schools is incredibly important. It's something that I fully support. Uh, those are the types of decisions and conversations that you have going into buying and budgeting. Okay, that, that, that's really cool. Oh my God, okay. Uh, so now, uh, looking at, like, okay, so we know that you're probably a qualified leader. Uh, so what are the top three valuable things that the city can do to help Mercer Island's restaurant and retail business community flourish and grow? Because we know that's been a challenge on Mercer Island. And now, especially after the pandemic, it's becoming even more difficult. Sure. So I'll start with what I've done uh, as your council member during the pandemic to support our business community. Uh, first, I fast-tracked our restaurant capability for expanded outdoor seating. Uh, Second, I suggested and implemented senior store hours for the protection of our vulnerable population, 
uh, and at-risk uh, shoppers. That was something that Kroger adopted nationally and Rite Aid uh, after it was brought to their attention. You know, we, we know the pandemic hit the Seattle region uh, first in the U.S. And so we were really tip of the spear in talking to retailers and trying to make safe shopping environments for our seniors and at-risk individuals. And third, uh, I helped the restaurants and business community seek and receive financial grants to continue operations during the pandemic. Uh, looking forward, I'll continue to, to fully support our business communities. We review and improve local policies, budgets, and zoning plans. Okay, yeah, that, that, that sounds like a pretty good solution. Uh, and yeah, I definitely think like the outdoor seating has definitely helped. Like, uh, at least for me, I've definitely felt safer, honestly, going to restaurants and all of that, just because now we have more space, like with COVID, like, and I think it's definitely encouraging people to come back. And yeah, I, I definitely like that. That's uh, great to hear. And that's yeah. feedback that we've heard from the, the retail community as well. And they've asked us to do everything that we can possibly to extend those emergency ordinances. Yeah. Okay. So next up is what is your ideal Mercer Island of the future? And what would you do now to make that happen? Great. Uh, an ideal Mercer Island is one where our community feels represented and safe. That means a continued commitment to those core values of public safety. In addition to safety, Mercer Islanders uh, have appreciated an increase in improvement in parks, sustainability measures, art programs, and a restart on the community center operations. And I think that a vibrant, activated town center is something that, that people really look towards. You know, one of the things that we're doing in the council right now is we're talking about retail and restaurant disappearing in our town center. As every multifamily, you know, high-rise, three, four, five-story building goes in, you get three or four stories of apartments above it, right. but you lose retail. And so we're, we're really breaking ground with writing legislation, zoning legislation to establish increased requirements for restaurant and retail, minimums inside of redevelopment. So if you go to Rite Aid right now, it's all retail, right? You have Rite Aid as a pharmacy and a drugstore, restaurants, you have uh, pet stores, things like that. <clears throat> if that redevelops, we're typically seeing one-third of that retail lost. So we're right at the process of uh, remanding to the Planning Commission the, the future zoning that will preserve and expand retail across our town center. And that means more restaurants and more retail uh, opportunities for Mercer Islanders. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's definitely a great direction to go in uh, because, uh, again, Mercer Island has definitely been struggling with like the whole retail thing and... I, yeah, just like really enforcing just how can we get that to grow and flourish. And what we know is that, you know, we just had the 2020 census. There's about 26,000 people on Mercer Island. We we write zoning laws for the next 20, 30 years, right? You're, you're planning for the future. Right. We know that we're going to have 30,000 people on Mercer Island when Mercer Island is about fully built out. When we look at current retail spending and the amount of retail and restaurants that's on Mercer Island, we have to expand that by about 30,000 additional square feet of retail. Oh, wow. So the, the idea of uh, trying to come up with code and zoning and incentives to boost that, to really put some uh, jet fuel on the redevelopment in town center, we have to look at parking. You know, parking is the number one constraint on restaurants and retail because every 1,000 square feet of restaurant requires 13 parking spots. So if you have that kind of overhead to put a restaurant in, let's say a Pagliacci's, a small one-level, one street-level restaurant that may do a lot of delivery or takeout, so it may not require that much parking. We have to try and find incentives to do that. So we're studying parking across town center. 
We're looking at are the people that live in multifamily parking in the streets? Where are the commuters parking? Where are the employees parking? Are we providing enough right-of-way parking on the city streets? For example, could we restripe 77th? Could we restripe 80th and put another 200 parking stalls in the city right-of-way for really just the cost of paint, right? We're talking $10,000. If we could do that and we could couple that with incentives for restaurants where we say to let's say, uh, an area next to Pagliacci's. If you want to put a one-story restaurant in, we could relieve you of any on-site parking. We can put that parking requirement into the right-of-way because we just created 200 net new parking stalls if you want to develop that restaurant or that small retail. And we could do that to develop that 30,000 additional square feet of retail that's missing right now for the next 20, 40 years of growth. So those are the types of things that we look at is not just writing zoning that might legislate how much restaurant and retail has to happen inside of redevelopment, but can we come up with incentives that would get one-story retail, one-story restaurant like Pagliacci's, what I would call infill development to occur in town center, which would really jumpstart and give uh, island residents something they're looking for. I'm Sid Stroff and I'm here with Daniel Becker, a candidate in the running for Mercer Island's Chamber of Commerce. He is running for election to position number two. Uh, He has been living on Mercer Island for a long time, like he grew up here and then moved back and he's coming back here with his family. Uh, So Daniel, I'm really excited to get started. So how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's really good to be back in the high school. Yeah. Memories here? Yeah. (laughs) It was uh, a lot of good times here growing up. (laughs) Nice, nice. Okay. So let's just jump right in. So when you look at what lies ahead for Mercer Island, what attributes do you have that make you qualified to lead the city into the future? Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and also, it's, uh, it's great to, to um, thank you to the Chamber of Commerce and, and uh, for having us here and, and being able to talk about our experiences. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, uh, on a personal note, I, I grew up on Mercer Island, and I have uh, an extensive connection to uh, people on Mercer Island. I have a ton of relatives here. Uh, I've lived in several places on Mercer Island, and as part of my doorbelling, I've actually walked a huge number of streets on the island. So from a connection to Mercer Island, uh, I, I really feel comfortable with knowing sort of what the soul is of the city. But from a, a practical standpoint, uh, I own a company of 170 people. Uh, my business partners and I grew our company over the last 20 years. Uh, we bo- completely bootstrapped it from nothing. And uh, personally, I do technology and finance. I'm the CTO and CFO of the company. And so I have uh, rigorous financial skills and just practical knowledge about running an organization uh, that I'm, I'm confident will benefit the city council. From a skill standpoint, I mean, I'm, I'm really like a, a numbers person. And, uh, you know, the city council, there's, there's a lot of budget discussion. And so I'm confident that uh, I'm... I can jump into that and participate in, in, in all of the needs uh, relating to the budgets. Um, but more importantly, because of my business, I really look at things that are, that are big picture. I think that a lot of the people on the council sort of get sucked into the, into the weeds uh, and the details and topics. And the way that our city council works is that we have a city manager who's, this, who's the CEO, really, of the city. And... Uh, it's the council's responsibility to actually just set policies and, and determine overall what residents want in a city. Right. And and that's really my background. Like, I want to look big picture. That's, I'm, a, I'm a big picture thinker. I'm a brainstormer. I like coming up with ideas. And I think that that's a, a quality that we need. I don't think we have people with, with my, certainly not with my business experience, 
uh, on the council. And I think we need people that are big picture and that want to spend their time trying to connect with residents. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. definitely uh, that definitely like I think that that sense of connection is really important to be able to lead the city. Yeah, you need to be able to like uh, you know uh, you uh, I'm sort of going off track a little bit, but um, you talked a little about you know like knowing like the soul of the city. So I, I'm just curious, and I bet the Mercer Island residents are also curious. Uh, what do you feel is like you know that soul, like that vibe that you get from the city from like walking around? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, that, that's one of the big things that I think when I first started this, it's like, what makes Mercer Island special? And uh, people talk about, you know, is it the types of buildings that we have? Or is it the way the town center is? is or is it a, or is it that we're a bedroom community? But what I've determined is that what people want is a really a small community feel. Like we all chose to live in a major metro region, but in a small city. We don't mm -hmm. want to be like Seattle. We don't want to be like Bellevue. We want to have a small community with a community feeling where you know your neighbors and you know I joke about seeing people at QFC all the time like that doesn't yeah. happen in bigger cities like we we need to preserve this small town community feel oh my god yeah I, that, that's actually really accurate I really enjoy like seeing like oh my god wait I didn't know you were at QFC too wait <laughs> oh my god yeah and like I've seen like my teachers sometimes here too so it's uh, I find that really funny anyways so moving on uh, what is your <clears throat> ideal Mercer Island of the future and what would you do now to make that happen? Yeah, so, um, I mean, first I would clarify that by saying that, you know, this isn't about me creating a city in my image. Like, running right. for city council, my job would be to represent residents and what residents want. And that's why I spent so much time trying to figure out what residents want, because I don't want to to put my image on, on everyone else. Having said that, um, I want to preserve a community, the community feeling. I, I want to keep this a small city, um, but at the same time, I want a high quality city. I think that um, we should be leaders. I think that we we have we have such a special city and so many um, successful people in our city that I'd like to see us focus more on how we can make the city a better place to live. And, you know, I get a lot of that from my business experience. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to make our business better. And uh, to me, that's what I like talking about in the city. I, I don't want to talk about how to, um, you know, manage uh, sort of, I mean, we, we have to manage the, within our budgets and when we have to manage within the, the budget constraints that we have, but I, I'd like to try to come up with ideas from residents about with the, within the constraints, how do we keep really making things better? Um, so I'd like to see most, you know, more community events. You know, it was really sad to see things like summer celebration cut because I oh, like that, yeah. and I like the farmers market, and I'd like to see just more more stuff going on to support the community. Um, and then, in particular, in the um, in the town center um, and things that I think that we can do to actually make that happen. I think there's a lot of stuff that we can do to encourage retail in the city. Um, I know that's like a big thing that a lot of people want is people want more restaurants, people want more shops. And, and I've got a, a lot of ideas like to, your, to the question of how do we make that happen now? I think there's there's changes we can make to the zoning code to, for new buildings that come in to make that better. And also um, just encouraging immediately more um, more restaurants coming. I'd, I'd love to see more food trucks um, in the city. Um, there's places that they can't go because the city council doesn't allow it. And I, I would like to change that and, and immediately change that. Um, 
but then also just our overall our town center vision i'd like to see updated and make sure that the town center is more walkable and is somewhere that you can go and actually like that could be a community center uh, rather than something right now it's just incredibly utilitarian and um, i think the town center could be better yeah, that's 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 definitely true. I I definitely like how you like touched on that retail thing because that's definitely something that's like suffered in the pandemic, right? And uh, we also and then definitely like representing the people. It's this is like their society that you're representing, and I definitely love how you're like, yeah, I wanna I I wanna I wanna look at what uh, I wanna look at what they want and lead and be a leader into the future like that. And yeah, I think that was definitely super cool. Um, so I think this is something that lots of people are wondering about. So as many of, as many of you have heard, the light rail station on Mercer Island is scheduled to go into operation in 2023. So what should the city be doing now to address anticipated changes this will bring into our community, if any? Yeah, I mean, we definitely need to be doing things uh, in lots of in lots of ways. Um, you know, the light rail is is polarizing in the city. I mean, yeah. there's there's it's been it's been interesting. Uh, I mean, there's people that feel very strongly that they don't want it. And there's they very, feel very strongly that they do want it. Um, but regardless of your opinion, the light rail is coming and we need to be planning for that. I mean, I think that in terms of planning, what you have are negative effects that we need to manage. And then there's positive effects that we need to try to take advantage of. Right. And I feel like we've done a reasonable job of planning for the negative effects. The city's hired some additional police officers um, or are continuing to hire uh, additional police officers to try to manage potential crime. Um, public safety is obviously a huge concern for residents. And I think that we need to be prepared uh, to do what it takes in order to try to make sure that our residents are, are safe. I mean, it, without safety, uh, we really don't, um, We like nothing else really matters unless we, we, we live in a safe community and we need to make sure that we manage that. Um, I think that the buses situation at the light rail is like a, is a risk. Uh, you know, we're, the city is currently in a lawsuit over that, trying to enforce sound transit, um, keeping the buses, uh, just really sticking to the agreement that we made with Sound Transit in 2017. Um, right. And I think we need to make sure, we need to try to hold Sound Transit accountable in that regard. Um, so another sort of risk is, um, I don't know, this isn't talked about much, but you know, the, with, there's going to be pedestrians on the north side of North Mercer, which is also a bike path. And I think that is going to be problematic, trying to mix a lot of pedestrians that are getting going to and from the light rail and the buses and the park and the park and ride. Yeah, mixing them with with pedestrians. I, somehow that's got to get managed. Um, we're not. That's not. That's something that we're not planning for right now. I don't feel like. Perhaps it's in the uh, in the lawsuit, which um, you know is an, an executive session with the council, so so residents aren't aware of what the discussion is. But I'd like to see that happen. Um, but then we have the positives, and I think that's this is rarely where we're falling short. Um, you know, I've, a number of people in the city don't seem to want to take the light rail, but uh, I know a lot of people do, and it's a problem of how we're actually going to use it. How are you going to get to the light rail? Park and ride is going to fill up so early, and we need to um, we need to facilitate that. I think whether it's you know not that we're people want to take a huge number of buses during COVID, but presumably the pandemic will end at some point, and we should be planning for it. And I know for the fact that the city is really not um, the metro one of the metro lines is going to get started, but it's going to run some, something like every forty five minutes, and you know it's just not enough. The metro the, the buses would need to run every like. Pretty much every, they'd have to run every 15 minutes. I'd like yeah. to see GPS so it tells you where the bus is. And you can look on your phone and see how far away the 
the, the bus is so that you can leave your house at the right time. Because if you miss the bus by two minutes and it's going to come 45 minutes later, you're going home and you're, and you're, uh, you're going to drive your car. So I think that's something that we definitely need to be looking at. Or, you know, are, is there additional park and ride? Or, or, you know, do we do Uber and Lyft like can do subsidized rides that are on demand? So something like that for how we're going to get people to the light rail. Uh, we also need to incorporate the town center vision. Um, this was created in 2016. There's only one passing reference to the light rail in the entire thing. And we really need to incorporate the town center vision into that um, at a minimum so that residents who live in the town center could actually walk there. It will allow them to reduce the number of cars they have, which will reduce the traffic for those of us who are driving to the town center. It will help with climate change, with reducing pollution if they, they have some fewer cars. So, I mean, at a minimum, we, we need to be preparing for that. Moving on to position four, the race between Michael Curry and Ted Weinberg, both candidates are running for city council for the first time. KMIH's Sophie Prock talked with the candidates. Here's what they had to say. I'm Sophie Prock and I'm here today with Michael Curry, a candidate in the running for Mercer Island City Council. Michael is running for position number four. He has been living on Mercer Island for more than 20 years. This is Michael's first time running. Michael, I'm so very excited to get started with you today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Good, good. All right, we'll get started off with our first question. So why are you interested in running for city council and what would be your highest priority if elected? Well, I'm interested in, in running for city council because it's a call to service to me. I've had three of those in my life, the military youth coach and a professional coach uh, where I work. So, um, and then one of my priorities is maintaining the quality of life that we have on Mercer Island and that brings great people here in the first place. I want to work to regain the trust between the citizens of Mercer Island and the council. Um, ultimately, we have to work together in order to move the island forward into the future. Yeah, thank you for that. New commercial and residential owners and developers would like permits process, processed more efficiently and quickly. What can be done to solve this problem? Well, I've heard that the permitting process is lengthy and the pandemic hasn't helped at all. Mm -hmm. I'll work with the city manager to ensure that the hiring and technology decisions help move the department forward in the most efficient model that we can. Great, great. So the light rail station on Mercer Island is scheduled to go into operation in 2023. What should the city be doing now to address anticipated changes this will bring into our community? That's a great question, Sophie. We need to make sure that safety is paramount on North Mercer and Town Center with regard to traffic, bus drop-offs, pedestrian and bicycle interactions. Council is currently working to hold Sound Transit accountable for the currently signed agreements regarding minimizing traffic volumes at pickup and drop-off points while still being able to realize the benefits of the Austin engineering of the light rail. If elected, I will help continue this work. Yeah, awesome. What would you do as a council member to ensure that schools on Mercer Island continue to thrive? That's another great question. The council needs to work to ensure that we continue to draw families to Mercer Island. School funding is directly connected to school enrollment numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, school enrollment numbers are a big thing, and schools Absolutely. won't run without those. So. Exactly. The yeah. council will work hard to ensure that counselors are funded and that access is available to those who need their assistance in these times and beyond. Also, do your homework. It never ends. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm the best candidate for council and school board and understand what their vision is for the future. Right, because yeah. decisions they make today are going to impact you for years to come. So mm -hmm. that's, tr that's so true. I think the youth is so especially important on Mercer Island. Mm -hmm. 
All right, what are the top three most valuable things that the city can do to help Mercer Island's restaurant and retail business community flourish and grow? Well, I think the top three things that I think we can do is enact sound policies that enable entrepreneurship. I think a lot of folks on the island have great ideas. I just think they need a doorway to get into to get that done. Mm -hmm. Um, Create a vibrant town center that keeps us on the island. Uh, And city council and the planning commission need to work in harmony to make this all a reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think working together is a huge part of politics, especially and here on Mercer Island because we're such a tight-knit community. I think that's important. Agreed. I'm Sophie Prock, and I'm here today with Ted Weinberg, a candidate in the running for Mercer Island City Council. Ted and his family have been living here on Mercer Island for more than 40 years. He is running for position number four. This is Ted's first time running. Ted, I'm so excited to get started. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, thank you. Great, great. All right, I'll start off with the first question. What is your ideal Mercer Island of the future, and what would you do now to make that happen? Well, I, I see the ideal Mercer Island of the future being uh, safe and green and vibrant. Where What I mean by safe is uh, public safety. When I talk to people on the island and ask them what they love about Mercer Island, what I hear back uh, very often is that they really love the feeling of safety and security that we have here, which is in no small part due to our fire and police department that do an excellent job of uh, keeping us safe and keeping us healthy. Uh, And what I mean by green is keeping our... Uh, natural spaces uh, verdant and uh, alive and healthy uh, and addressing some of the long-term issues with climate change to reduce our carbon footprint and to uh, have fewer of these days that are 115 degrees like what we saw back in 2020. That was a real wake-up call for Mm -hmm. a lot of us. What I mean by vibrant uh, is making sure that our business community uh, can thrive, that we have uh, a good mix of uh, different businesses available and that we have uh, a good mix of spaces available for them so that we uh, can uh, uh, support that uh, different variety and that people are aware of what the uh, businesses are so we can support our businesses and really enjoy uh, what we have here on the island. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. And I think it's very important that we address the climate problem mm-hmm. here on Mercer Island, especially for our youth because they are the generation, me, who's going to really have to deal with that later. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Residents keep talking about wanting more retail, restaurant, and entertainment options on Mercer Island. Is it possible, and what would you do to help make that happen? Oh, absolutely, it's possible. Uh, I, I think that uh, part of what we need to uh, accomplish in order to uh, get a greater variety um, of retail and restaurant space in the island is to create a greater variety of spaces for them on the island. Uh, uh, One of the things I learned in architecture school is that in the United States, we tend not to build buildings to last for centuries. We tend to build them to last up to 100 years, and then we tend to tear them down and replace them with something newer and fancier every 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so if we uh, have a, if we can try to reach some kind of an equilibrium where the buildings get replaced every 50 years, but each year we only replace 2% of them, then at any one time we're going to have this nice spectrum of building uh, spaces available for retail that are from the ones that are brand new that uh, need a high margin business to be able to succeed in to the ones that are uh, much older and that a 
uh, lower margin business or something that is a more quaint uh, or uh, interesting shop that uh, uh, that's more uh, unique uh, would be uh, uh, would be able to thrive in that kind of space. And of course, uh, free enterprise uh, never uh, works to any exact equilibrium. There's always going to be fits and starts and bursts uh, of uh, of construction. But trying to get closer to that so that we have more diversity and more uh, variety in uh, what we have in, uh, in our town center. And I think also helping to uh, uh, cluster them together so that uh, when you walk past business A to visit business B, uh, then you uh, see business A and you're uh, thinking about, oh, maybe I'm going to uh, stop by in that store uh, again in the future and see what they have. And uh, when they're more spread out, then you drive to business B uh, and you don't really see business A. It kind of speeds back, uh, past the window. So I think getting uh, things together, you know, better urban planning of uh, getting the, the shops together will uh, create some cross-pollination between the shops. Yeah, that's really cool. And mm -hmm. I think um, I spend a lot of time on Island because that's mm -hmm. where I live. And I love how wonderful our shops are and how diverse they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have candy stores, we have bookstores, we have a bunch of different cuisines and I think that's really cool and I, I really appreciate the logic behind putting them close together mm -hmm. and the architecture mm -hmm. of the buildings. There's mm -hmm. some other smaller things like uh, creating a variety of space sizes so mm -hmm. if uh, if all of the retail spaces are th like three to five thousand square feet then you're only going to get a certain size of uh, vendor in there but if you or a tenant in there but if you can have some that are like a thousand square feet that gives smaller businesses a chance to get started here on the island. Mm -hmm. Another small idea is, uh, but a, a good one that I heard uh, someone <laughs> mention, was um, the idea of having kiosks at the light rail station, mm -hmm. uh, something that reminds people uh, of what great businesses there are here on the island while they're waiting for the train or while they're uh, uh, getting ready to go up to the platform uh, or up from the platform to get in their car. They are coming off the train with uh, full wallets and empty stomachs mm -hmm. and possibly some dry cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> and that is kind of the seed that gets them into the business district. And mm -hmm. then they realize, oh, there's also a hardware store. Oh, there's also this curiosity shop over here mm -hmm. and there's a bookstore. And they can you know, start to uh, become regular customers of other businesses as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. I really like that out-of-the-box thinking. That's yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. All right. What are the top three most valuable things that the city can do to help grow Mercer Island's restaurant business community? And how can you make it help? The, sorry, excuse me. How can you help it to flourish and grow? Well, I, I, I think uh, I, I think part, part of what I was saying in the, in the, mm -hmm. the previous question of like uh, the kiosks and, and helping to group them together so that there's a, a cross pollination between them. I think one thing that we're hearing from our businesses as well, because we do survey, survey them on a regular basis uh, from the, uh, uh, the city council, um, is that they want more communication. They would like to hear uh, about what the opportunities are that are available to them for support in, when we have uh, a major uh, global event like the pandemic going on, finding out what are the places they can get uh, help uh, from the uh, different agencies of government, not just city, but county and state and federal as well. And having kind of a central one-stop shop that they can go to uh, get that information and get links to uh, where they can apply for uh, help uh, is, is very uh, um, uh, supportive of our, uh, of our uh, businesses in the area. And I think also uh, just long-term urban planning of figuring out mm -hmm. what is it that we want this, uh, the area to look like uh, 30 years down the line. And you know where are the anchors, like the, the train station and uh, Mercerdale Park and the 
uh, I call the Starbucks Triangle that has all the uh, you know barrels and uh, island treats uh, mm-hmm. and Posto uh, down at, at that corner, um, and trying to identify the connectors between that. Right, there's the 27th uh, connector that goes from the light rail station to the Triangle, and then you have uh, 78th that goes from light rail station down to the park, and trying to uh, identify how can we create those or make those more of a uh, a promenade uh, that people can kind of enjoy uh, exploring along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. What would be your approach if a fellow council member or someone in the community has differing opinions from you? Well, I first of all start by listening. I try to understand what is the underlying concern that they have and what is their experience? What is it about uh, how the issue affects their daily life that's bringing them forward to tell us uh, about this? And I've been doing this for four years in the Planning Commission, where every time that we have a controversial issue before us, we have this thing called appearances, where anyone from the community can come before the Planning Commission and have three minutes with the microphone Mm -hmm. to tell us anything that they want about the particular issue. Um, and that's how we learn more about what's going on on the island. There's no way that one person on the island could know everything that's happening here. So we rely upon that information uh, coming from the community in order for us to build a bigger picture and to be able to collaborate with our uh, fellow uh, council members or, in my case, commissioners uh, to build the legislation that works best for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think that... Uh, uh, listening is the, the, the first thing that, that I try and do. And then I try to identify where do we have common ground? Uh, what are the things that, uh, that we agree upon? And how can we build a solution outwards from there uh, that might work for, uh, for everyone? And even when it doesn't come to a consensus, even when there is you know, a 4-3 vote or, or a, non-major- or a non-unanimous uh, vote on a particular issue, I consciously tell myself to listen each time, even if there's someone that I've disagreed on for the last five topics that we've discussed, Mm -hmm. I want to still respect that they have a valid opinion, they have a valid life experience uh, that relates to the topic, and listen in case they have facts that can change my mind. Yes, especially in our ever-changing and growing community today, so many people are going to have different different ideas, different opinions, and Mm -hmm. I, I like that that you think about learning from people rather than just, you know, mm-hmm. putting your own topic out there. I appreciate that. And there's one example that uh, relates to the uh, Shoreline Management Act that we were mm-hmm. uh, looking at back in 2018 or 2019, uh, where the uh, the state had come to us essentially with these new regulations about uh, the shape and size of docks relating mm-hmm. to saving the salmon so that there isn't too much shade uh, and that the salmon can get through and not have predators hide under the docks and eat the baby salmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were saying, okay, so all the docks need to be a lot narrower. Uh, and whenever somebody wants to replace a dock, you have to have all these uh, different changes to it. And uh, it sounded like, you know, hey, we, we, we care about salmon here in the Northwest. And, and we're all on board with, yes, let's make these changes. And then we started hearing from the community about this is the, you know, yes, the community also cares about salmon. Uh, It's part of our culture here in the Northwest. But this is the impact if we were to implement the changes exactly as the state was was indicating, that no one would change their docks because the docks would have to get so narrow that it'd be non-functional with their boats. Mm -hmm. And so the docks would just get really, really old and start to splinter and start to fall apart. Um, So we eventually worked out a compromise where we figured out how can we meet the requirements of the state while at the same time uh, creating code that allows people to uh, refurbish their docks or at least resurface the top of, uh, of their docks uh, and keep it uh, safe to use. Right, right. 
The light rail station on Mercer Island is scheduled to go into operation in 2023. Mm-hmm. What should the city be doing now to address anticipated changes this will bring into our community? Well, uh, there's three things that came to mind uh, when uh, I was thinking about uh, uh, this particular one. Uh, one is uh, the last mile uh, getting to the light rail station. Mm-hmm. One, another one is parking. And the third one is the opportunities that it affords. Um, and I think that the last mile, we need to have a way to get to the station in a way that isn't just single occupancy vehicles, right? So is there a way that we can have uh, it more uh, favorable to bicycles uh, so that people can uh, take their bike on the train or that people can have a place to uh, locker their bike um, at the uh, at the station uh, while they're uh, away uh, at work or wherever it is that they're going? And is there a way that we can make it more uh, accessible to pedestrians, uh, more accessible to people that are being dropped off um, by uh, either a friend or having some type of community vehicle uh, that can do it? There's a bunch of sound transit settlement money that we received back in 2017 that we haven't spent yet and that is sunsetted. So it's going to go away if we don't use it. Uh, And so using some of that for some kind of uh, like the acquisition of electric vans that could uh, do a door to door service so that there isn't another vehicle in the parking uh, parking lot there. Mm -hmm. But the the other part is we still need more parking. Right. There's 447 (laughs) spaces uh, Mm -hmm. in the uh, the uh, the Washington State Department of Transportation's uh, uh, parking garage uh, Mm -hmm. that we call our uh, park and ride. Um, and it fills. Uh, before the pandemic, 7.08 was the safe harbor line. If After 7.08 a.m., uh, it was going to be full. And by 7.30, forget it. You, know, you, you may as well go somewhere else. Um, but I used to commute every day because I, mm-hmm. I worked for uh, the IT department in the city of Seattle. Mm-hmm. I would get on the 550 bus. I knew I had to get there by 7.08 every day. So I think after the pandemic, with a lot of us telecommuting, that safe harbor line might go up to maybe 7.30 or 7.45. Um, especially with the new South Bellevue uh, uh, parking garage. But I still think we need more parking. I think we need to find a way, uh, even with uh, the different last mile solutions, we need to relieve some of the pressure on that. And there's some opportunities we can look into for doing that. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having an electric van, I think that's an interesting approach. I've never Mm -hmm. I've never thought about that. That's Mm -hmm. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, we had something similar to that. um, Oh, gosh, uh, maybe uh, 20 or 30 years ago. uh, Mm -hmm. That was more of a point to point solution to help people get to shopping and get Mm -hmm. uh, people to the uh, different community centers and the like. Uh, So exploring how we did that, how it worked, uh, what went well, what didn't go well with that, and how we might uh, leverage uh, what we learned from that uh, to uh, create some kind of a new solution for bringing people to light rail. Yeah, great. Well, Ted, I think that's all the time we have for today. Mm -hmm. The staff of KMIH and the Mercer Island community, thanks you so much for being here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, 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 go Islanders. Yeah, (laughs) Islander fried. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Class of 86 myself. All right, awesome. And finally, position six, where challenger Kate Accuse squares off against incumbent Lisa Andrew. KMIH's Sid Schroff brings us his interview with candidate Kate Accuse. Hello, 88.9 The Bridge. I am Sid Schroff, and I'm here with Kate Accuse, a candidate in the running for Mercer Island's Chamber of Commerce. She is running for election to city council position number six, and she has been living on Mercer Island for around eight years or so. So, Kate, I'm very excited to get started. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Sid. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So let's just jump right in. We got 10 minutes. So uh, 
let's see. Uh, why are you interested in running for city council, and what would be your highest priority if elected? Yeah, so um, my interest in city council is that I feel like as an elected body, our city council is supposed to be the voice of the community. Um, and as such, I think every council member um, has an obligation to ensure that all voices in our community are heard and respected on civic topics. And that's just not happening right now. Um, like so many municipal governments, ours has taken a page from the national political playbook and become extremely polarized. I've spoken to so many folks going door to door that can't tolerate the hostility. Um, but the, t the types of meetings we're having and uh, all that hostility on social media, that's not who we are as Islanders. I think we're really just kind of a moderate group of people, you know, highly educated. We love our schools. We love our parks. Um, we all want very, very similar things. So I think that that tone needs to come down. And I think the city council has a big role to play in that and setting the tone, setting a welcoming table for everybody. Um, you also asked about priorities in terms of priorities. Um, I fear that we really have not done enough to address the homelessness issue. Um, right. Our uh, our police and our social services workers do not have the tools they need to really address this issue. Um, even though we passed this homelessness ordinance last year, I've seen an uptick in people on the streets and I'm understanding watching these different cases evolved that um, there's a missing link and it's the mental health link. And um, we do not have adequate ability for our social services workers or our police officers to manage people who are in a mental health crisis. Um, if they don't want to come in, if they're not a threat to themselves or someone else, their hands are tied. And our police really feel like their hands are tied after some of the legislation that's been passed at the state. So I think we need, uh, as a city, I think we really need to rally with surrounding cities and demand that the state increase the availability of residential, um, uh, long-term residential living um, and assisted living opportunities for people in mental health crisis. Um, they're, they're kind of stuck right now, and I really feel for our uh, officers and our social services workers. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Uh, I hadn't, like, I, I definitely thought about the homelessness issue, and in fact, I was going to be like, ooh, I was, I'm going to dig in, maybe I'll ask about that. But uh, I didn't I didn't really think about it in the mental health like perspective. And that's definitely a very valid, very like a, a very interesting perspective to look at, look at it from. Yeah. So uh, residents keep talking about wanting more retail, restaurant and entertainment options on Mercer Island, uh, especially, you know, after the pandemic, like all of this business stuff has been hit pretty hard. Um, is it possible? And what would you do to make it happen? Well, I think um, that our city's taken a very reactive approach to development, and that's made a lot of folks unhappy. You know, there's people who don't want to see any change at all. Um, we have a very rapidly changing demographic, and some people do want to see change. Some people are thrilled about light rail, some are not. Um, and what we really need as a community is to come together on a vision, and the city council has a lead role in guiding that, along with the Chamber of Commerce. We need to um, get people to stop talking past each other really listen to each other, see what the needs of all in our community are. And then we need to work with the development community um, to put forth that vision and to work with the development community to get what we want. Because right now, we're just getting development proposals and we're reacting to them. You know, I would love to see, you know, a, uh, a promenade or something that's, you know, accessible by e-bike, by foot, by light rail, by car. You know, we all use different modes of transportation. Um, you know, people talk about needing more walkability. And one thing that um, 
really frustrates me is the uh, lack of imagination. You know, there's this footprint set for a downtown in the 1970s, and, and people are acting like that's a prison sentence. It's not. Right. You know, I work in uh, river restoration. We unbuild things all the time. That's what I do for a living. And, you know, if, if our vision doesn't match the exact layout, you know, if we want to do something different with pedestrian-friendly access, we can. But we have to work with developers instead of just waiting to see what they bring us and fighting them on it. Right. That's a, that's a very good point because, right, times are definitely evolving and we need to grow to match the times, match the people and the evolving demographic. And yeah, I definitely think that's an, a really good point. So thinking of that evolving demographic thing, um, what is your ideal Mercer Island of the future and what would you do now to make that happen? Well, honestly, I think this is a pretty idyllic place to live. (laughs) You know, I've got two kids. My partner has two. We've got four kids. We've got grandparents and uncle, two uncles on the island. Um, Love the parks, love the schools, love the people. We are ambitious and highly, highly talented group of people. So I love it here. But yes, I do recognize that our demographics are shifting. I think about um, generational issues, you know, our... um, We've got a lot of seniors that are in housing crisis in our community. It takes two or three years to find a condo to downsize to, and that's that's not acceptable. And then I think of like, I think we call them the snake people now. I used to call them Generation Y. Um, this is the first generation in the history of the nation that's going to have less opportunity to accumulate wealth than the generation before. And we need to think about housing options for them. They are evolving what their idea of the American dream is because the American dream that many other generations on our island have been able to attain is just simply not attainable. Um, so we need to, um, I think that's why I'd be good for this position as a, a firm Gen Xer. I think I can be a bridge because I understand the concerns. I have a ton of respect for a tradition, a ton of respect. I was very close to my maternal grandparents. Um, and I just have a ton of respect for the seniors in our community, but I also understand that our, our young adults, those uh, 20 to 40 year olds, they just have such huge economic challenges ahead of them. Yeah. They were hammered by the Great Recession. And uh, I think we need to think about both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see how you're able to like empathize with both. And yeah, I wish I could do that, but a little bit distant. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. You have time. You have time. Yeah, I got time. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, getting close to the end, um, what would be your approach if a fellow council member or someone in the community has differing opinions from you? Um, well, you know, I think you've got to start from a place of empathy. I, you know, I've got a lot of people being hostile to me. It's an election year. You know, right. I've, I've got people, I ask them to come have a cup of coffee. Some of them won't even meet me. They'll, they'll, they'll say nasty things without even meeting it. And I'm like, you know, that's all about fear. You know, so you've got to approach that person who um, is upset or, or strongly disagrees with you from a place of empathy, understanding what is driving that, what is driving that anger, what is driving that fear, and just listen. Just really, really listen and, and look for common ground. You've got to do that. That's the only way we're going to get through this, um, you know, wicked political system we're dealing with now. Right. You know, we've yeah. got to bring the tone back down. We've got to bring civil discourse back to City Hall. Running to keep her seat on the city council is Lisa Andrew. KMIH's Sophie Prock caught up with Councilwoman Andrew. Here's her interview. I am Sophie Prock, and I'm here with Lisa Andrew, a candidate in the running for Mercer Island's city council. Lisa is running for position number six. She has been living on Mercer Island for more than 20 years. Lisa is running for re-election as she has been on the Mercer Island city council since December. Lisa, I'm so very excited to get started. How are you doing today? Thanks, Sophie. I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. All right. So I will get started off with our first question. 
When you look at what lies ahead for Mercer Island, what attributes do you have that make you qualified to lead our city into the future? Thanks for that question. Um, when I look ahead, I see challenges and opportunities. And I think some of the attributes that I have um, that qualify me are the fact that I've been doing the job for three years, so there's no learning curve. These are really complex issues. And just the first year on council, just you barely get a rudimentary understanding of the finances and all of the city operations from water and sewer to streets to you know the various litigations that we're engaged in. Um, so knowing what's going on and not having to start over, I think is a great attribute. And I feel like I've been successful. I've worked really well collaboratively and cooperatively with my fellow council members. So I remain com I'm confident that whoever is new on the council um, will be, you know, we'll be able to integrate them and work well with them as well. And um, the fact that I have practiced law for 35 years, I think is also a skill. I am able to read and analyze things quickly. I can take a kind of a dispassionate view of issues until all the data is in. And um, I bring my, my litigation and negotiations expertise to various um, disputes and contract negotiations and issues that face the city. Having that background in law especially is probably really important for your job too. And also, you know, they always say practice makes perfect. So yeah, <laughs> that's great. What would you do as a council member to ensure that schools on Mercer Island continue to thrive? Um, well, as you know, um, the city and the school district are kind of in their separate swim lanes. Um, mm -hmm. So one thing I would do is make sure I study the candidates for the school board and vote wisely for a good, good school board. Um, we work cooperatively and collaboratively with the schools. We continued, I think we fund, the city funds, I think 90% of the mental health counselors who are in one each in each of the uh, grade schools and middle school and the high school. Mm -hmm. And of course that's non-negotiable. We will continue to fund those resources, which we've told the entire community values, even if you don't have children in school, mm -hmm. we, we want our children <laughs> to be healthy yeah. mentally and physically. So um, to have that resource there at the school is a high priority for me. And I have always voted to fund the counselors. Um, mm -hmm. That and, you know, just support the community, I think, as long as we are a wonderful place to live and a safe place to live, um, our schools will thrive because people, good people will move to the island to send their children to school. Yeah. And, you know, funding on the schools is dependent on enrollment numbers. And so as long as we can keep our schools full by keeping the island a desirable place to live, I think that's maybe where the city council has the most important role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think something that's really important to me specifically is mental health. And I've always felt that I'm valued at school and I have a place to go when needed. So that's that's really important to me. And I appreciate that you value that. Mm -hmm. That's so great to hear because I don't have children in school. And um, so I only do hear, you know, secondhand stories. But right. um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What would be your approach if a fellow council member or someone in the community has differing opinions from you? Well, luckily, I have a lot of experience with this. <laughs> um, 
no, not luckily, but you know, we do, we do have plenty of, we have a lot of seven to nothing votes on the council, you know, to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our budget decisions are seven to nothing. Most of our capital improvement plans are seven to nothing. You know, let's spend money to repave the shoulders on East Mercer way, which are failing. You know, let's, let's do these residential streets. Let's buy a new snowplow. Um, those are, you know, really the city staff supports those with good data and we all vote in agreement on those. But we don't, we also have six to one votes and we have four to three votes where sometimes I'm on the three end and sometimes I'm on the four end. And I've met people in the community who don't always agree with me. I think the thing to do there is to just listen first and foremost, rather mm -hmm. than to try to convince someone of your viewpoint before you even understand their viewpoint. Yeah, because you can make a great argument for why you're right, but if you're not addressing the things they care about and why they think they're right, then you've wasted your time. So I think to start by listening is the most important thing, and I I like to think that I do that in my council decision making. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listening is really really important, and I myself have had a lot of friends and even family members who have differing opinions from me, and. I completely agree with you. I think listening is the best way to actually begin to have a conversation that's important on issues like those. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because, you know, I'm an extrovert and I like to talk and that's how I usually <laughs> approach a situation is like, hey, here I am, listen to me. But mm -hmm. um, so I make a conscious effort to, you know, to step back. Right. Yeah. So the light rail station on Mercer Island is scheduled to go into operation in 2023. What should the city be doing now to address anticipated changes this will bring to our community? Well, I think the city is doing um, what it needs to do in the sense that we have, um, I mean, how, how do I best say this? So the anticipated changes that the light rail will bring, obviously there'll be great convenience for Mercer Island residents, um, assuming they can find a spot in the park and ride <laughs> but um so you know we need to we are studying parking options um there but there's also the potential for a lot of um i want to say negative interaction between pedestrians and cars and bicycles mm -hmm. because of the increased congestion there is also um the potential for uh, as access to the island becomes easier and uh, people who don't have ties to the community can access the community it it may be that um there is potential for an uptick in crime i don't know i've read studies and heard that documented statistics that um crime does tend to increase around uh, transit stations like this. So it's definitely a concern. We have um, authorized additional police officers. Should we need to do that? We are negotiating with and actually litigating with Sound Transit in order to hold Sound Transit to the promises it made in terms of the degree of traffic it will have there. So to keep the bus congestion down to a minimum so that uh, residents in their cars can pass through the North Mercer Way area, which mm -hmm. is a critical arterial by the um, park and ride. And also that, so that the drop-offs and pickups between the bus and the light rail are safe. So that people aren't encouraged to jaywalk or, you know, to, to catch a train, um, you know, so that that, and that, that the bicycles have a safe path through there too, because they're, they're, that's the arterial for them as well. And since the city's looking at all of those things, um, mm -hmm. so, you know, crime prevention, um, traffic safety, 
traffic volumes. And um, I hope it all, I hope the litigation, we don't have any you know, real control over, but um, I'm optimistic that uh, we'll reach a solution that, that provides the maximum benefit of transit to the island with the minimum of negative impact. Mm -hmm. I think safety is a really big thing. Also, I'm, I'm glad that you're really addressing that and making sure that that's a top priority. I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Residents keep talking about wanting more retail, restaurant and entertainment options on Mercer Island. Is that something that's possible? And what would you do to help make it happen? Um, I think it is possible. I mean, you see areas like um, the Boyd collection, which is, you know, where the Lafette pastry shop and barrels mm -hmm. wine shop, that little um, area is just super vibrant. And of course, yeah. as is the area with the Starbucks and, and the, the chicks shoes, uh, great, just single story commercial um, is still really, really desirable in the town center. And um, as the town center continues to grow, we as council are working right now on uh, looking at the building codes and the zoning codes in the town center to encourage, uh, well, to require that the same amount of retail that's there now be maintained and to incentivize creation of additional retail so that there are spots for um, small restaurants or gift shops or others to go into. Mm -hmm. And right now, the um, the town center code does not require that in all areas. So, for example, where Island Books is, if that development were to, if that uh, commercial center were to be torn down, right now it could be rebuilt without any retail at all. It could be rebuilt as 100% residential, and we're trying to work to preserve that retail that's there and require that uh, so that there are, there is a space for a place like Terabella, or you know. Um, like experience Paris and uh, mm -hmm. all the you know the great little stores that we we all patronize here. Yeah, I love I love going to those stores, especially Island Books. I've been going there since I was young. That's wonderful. I'm I'm really excited to see what's to come. This local election broadcast was produced as a partnership between KMIH 88.9 The Bridge and the Mercer Island Chamber of Commerce. Chamber members are businesses, organizations, and individuals concerned with the socio-economic climate of our community. It takes a strong collective voice to support a healthy economy and improve the quality of life on Mercer Island. This is KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. Thanks for listening.